And so Shalmaneser V, the king of Assyria, came up against Hoshea, meaning the northern ten tribes, specifically at Samaria, where their capital was. And notice, Hoshea became his vassal, and he paid him tribute money. So in order to, you know, he's like the big bully on the block, Shalmaneser V, and so Hoshea is going, you know, just be our friend and we'll, you know, don't attack us and we'll give you anything you want. And that was the agreement. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vessel. Hoshea accepted the status of vessel under the king of Assyria. If he paid his money and did as the king of Assyria pleased, he would be allowed to continue on the throne of Israel. Hoshea thought he had a strategic opportunity when a new king came to the Assyrian throne, but he was wrong. It was time for the Assyrians to begin the siege of the northern ten tribes under the leadership of Salmaneser. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Israel now, as we look at 2 Kings chapter 17, it's a very long chapter, and we're just going to get right into it because it is long. Normally I like to read shorter chapters in its totality to kind of get the the feel of what it is, and then we go back and take a look at it. But tonight we're not going to be able to do that. I would encourage you to read this over again and read these passages in, in Deuteronomy 27 through 30 and then, and then read 2 Kings 17. And it, the, the Deuteronomy passages really prepare you for what you're going to read now because God is basically saying, I told you, I told you, I told you, and now God is going to bring it full circle. I told you that I was going to do this if you did this, and now I've got to bring it full circle. I've got to come around and fulfill that which I've said. And do you think for a minute that God is happy? We know the passage is right. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He would rather us choose life, right? To choose life. Isn't that what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30? Toward the end there, he says, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. And boy, isn't that an anti-abortion message for you. Choose life. Thus saith the Lord. Because he said it. So look at verse 1 in chapter 2 Kings chapter 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea... The son of Elah became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. So you have Ahaz ruling in the southern two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, otherwise known just as Judah. And then we have now Hoshea, who was Israel's last king, um, the last king in the northern ten tribes, and, uh, and he reigned for nine years. And, and Ahaz began... 
uh, his vice regency under his father Jotham in 744 BC. So the twelfth year of Ahaz was 732. So you do 744 minus 12 and you come to 732. And so Hosea reigned from 732 till 722, a total of nine years. And, um, and notice uh, he was the 19th and the last king of the ninth dynasty of the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah only had one dynasty, the Davidic dynasty, because they went from father to son, from father to son, father to son. There was no break in that. But in the, the northern kingdom, there were nine different dynasties. It wasn't all consecutive. And this was the final one, the ninth one, Hosea, the 19th king. And it was during his reign... Uh, that Shalmaneser V, the king of Assyria, came and besieged Syria for three years. And when they would besiege a town, what they would do is they would surround it with a military and they would starve the people out. They would cut off all of, their in, all of the places where they would go out of town to get food or water or whatever, and, um, and they would just surround you. And eventually they would starve you out. And there are so many prophets that talked about the calamities and the desperate things that the children of Israel would go through when they were led captive or when they were in a siege and the horrible things that they would have to do to survive. Mothers giving birth to their children or their stillborn children and then eating them because there was nothing else to eat. Think of that, ladies. I mean, it doesn't get more graphic and horrible than that. I mean, to me, that is like the worst thing that could ever happen. And, and a mother would, 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 would do that because she's starving. It's all they've got. And so Hosea became king because he murdered Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and so he, he obtained his crown by murder. And notice that Hosea now, this last king of the northern kingdom, in verse 2 it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And this is just a way of God saying that he wasn't as bad as the other kings because Ahaz or you know, other kings were really horrible. And this guy was really bad. He was evil, but he wasn't as bad. Do you understand that if you're bad and you don't come to Christ, you're still going to hell? And if you're really, really horrible, I mean just decrepit and miserable and horrible, you're still going to hell too? So God doesn't look at it like, well, he, you know, he might make it because he's only a little bit evil. No, he's he just, he just a way of comparison, comparing another king to another king. Like, this guy did this much horrible stuff, but this guy... He's got a catalog pretty long. But notice in verse 3, So Shalmaneser, who was the king of Assyria, and Assyria at this time was really dominant, and it was in the northeast of, of, of Israel, in the northeast where Nineveh and all that was the capital of uh, Assyria. And so Shalmaneser V, the king of Assyria, came up against Hosea, meaning the northern ten tribes, specifically at Samaria, where their capital was. And notice Hosea became his vassal and he paid him tribute money. So in order to, you know, he's like the big bully on the block, Shalmaneser V. And so Hosea is going, you know, just be our friend and we'll, you know, don't attack us and we'll give you anything you want. And that was the agreement. But notice what happened. And the king of Assyria, Shalmaneser, he uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea. For he had sent messengers to So, and that's a, a proper noun, So, or a name. So is his name. How do you think about it? Hey, So, So, so what? So, so what? 
So his name is So, the king of Egypt, and he brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Right? So in other words, you haven't paid your friendship dues, Hosea. Now I'm going to, you know, there's going to be a problem here. And so he shuts him up in jail. And then it says, now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land, and he went up to Samaria, and he besieged it for three years. Now, it's uncertain whether this, whether it was Shalmaneser or Sargon uh, II, whether he concluded the siege, uh, which finally ended the northern kingdom. Shalmaneser V, he reigned uh, for about uh, five years, five or six years. He reigned from 727 to 722 B.C. But Shalmaneser, when he came to lay siege on Samaria for three years, somewhere in that three-year period, Shalmaneser had to go back to Assyria and his own people murdered him sometime during that three-year siege because he imposed taxation on the city of Asher, which is the holy city. And so the people killed him, and he died. Uh, it was probably a coup for his life. And then his son, Shalmaneser's son, Sargon, became king. He's often known as Sargon II. He's Shalmaneser's son. He reigned from 722 to 705 B.C. And, and this is really when Israel meaning the northern ten tribes, they went, uh, Sargon, or Shalmaneser started it, but then Sargon, his son, came finally and um, raided the northern ten tribes and took the people captive. And so notice in verse 6, it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, and again, this is either more than likely at Sargon at this point, he took Samaria and he carried Israel away to Assyria. Notice, he didn't just slaughter them, he carried them away captive. He placed them in, in areas uh, northeast of, of, way northeast of Israel, um, and placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And one thing you have to understand about the Assyrians, their policy, whenever they conquered or, or, or a people, or they would displace them. They would remove them from their land, um, and that would be one of the ways that they would conquer them. And think of, think of how awful that would be, because now they've got slave labor, you know, Assyria now has a bunch of Jews that they can use as slave labor, killed some of them, led some of them away captive. Now they got free, um, free labor. And the people are displaced. And the Assyrians, they were cruel. They were one of the most cruel people on the planet, and they did many barbarous things to their captives. One excerpt detailed some of the things that they did, and it says, A captured king was taken to the capital and compelled to pull the royal chariot of triumph as a way of mocking that king who was deposed from his throne. And there were other things that they did. Rings were put through their lips or their noses. Sometimes their hands, their feet, their noses, and ears were cut off, and they were blinded by having their eyes poked out with a spear, and their tongues were taken from or torn from their mouths. Prisoners were skinned alive and set on fire. It sounds like a pretty bad group of guys. All they needed is motorcycles, and they could be a Hell's Angels too, right? Horrible individuals. 
And their skins were also hung near the enemy's city gates in order to collect tribute. That'd be a good way. Pay money to us and this won't happen to you. Sounds like a good plan. Right? So the Lord allowed the ruthless Assyrians to capture the northern kingdom because of their sin. In fact, there's inscriptions where Sargon II... In, a, in, an, in an inscription called the Korsabad inscription, he, it's recorded where he said himself, Samaria, I besieged. I captured 27,290 of her inhabitants I carried away. And so here he is boasting. And, and the, the Assyrians kept great records. They kept great records. So now as we go through verse 7 through verse 23, God gives a summary. And this is just how good God is. And even though this is difficult to hear, folks, God is making them accountable. He's he's saying, I'm about to do this, and here is why I'm doing it. And you'll notice this in the prophets, too. Like in Jeremiah or Isaiah, God lays out for them exactly what they were doing. He tells them what what not to do, and then when they finally do it, he says, now this is going to be your punishment. This is what is going to, and and this is the reason why you are being punished. And see, isn't it good as a parent? That's what we do to our kids. You know, you don't go up and you spank your child and they say, what did I do wrong? Are you going to say, well, I don't know. I just felt like doing it. I mean, mean, maybe your father did that to you, but my, whenever I got spanked, I was usually told what I was doing, sometimes while I was getting spanked. My mother would tell me exactly what it was that I was doing wrong, and I got the message. She applied the Board of Education to the seat of learning. Right? So verse 7, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Now, so here, God is giving them the reasons. This is why you're going into, into captivity, Israel. Your Lord who had brought you up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. So they weren't only worshiping these pagan gods, but they were making up gods as they went. And also the children of Israel, verse 9, secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower to fort city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. These, these symbols of idolatry, these images, these idols. And God told them that they were to worship in one place. Remember, we looked at that in Deuteronomy chapter 12. What did God tell them? When you come into the land, you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. This is uh, Deuteronomy 12 verse 5. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. For there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. All of these things, I want you to do it in a specific place, and I'll tell you when you get there. And God did. And that place was ultimately and finally in Jerusalem, at the Temple Mount, on the altar. All of the sacrifices were to take place there. Not under every hill and under every green tree. No, it was to be in one place. One place. And then verse 11, back in our text, says, There... 
On these high places, they burned incense on all the high places. Notice, underline this, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away from before them. Notice that, underline that. They did this like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Now, in Genesis 15, you might want to make a little note off the side of your Bible. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 13. Notice what happened when God was giving, making a covenant with Abraham. And God said to Abraham in verse 13 of Genesis 15, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. Where did they serve 400 years? In Egypt, right? Because and, and th- think of the time frame. He's talking to Abraham. So, you know, the, the exodus hadn't happened yet. So back here, God is telling him that your people are going to, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them, meaning the Egyptians, will afflict them 400 years and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Did God judge Egypt? Yes, he did. By causing them to go out, he judged the Egyptians. He poured out all those, those plagues upon Egypt and destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. We know that. It's recorded for us. But then he says, and also the nation, uh, that nation I will judge. Afterward, they, speaking of your people, the Jews, the children of Israel, shall come out with great possessions. And they did. God is prophesying that it's going to happen. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here on this mountain, Abraham, in Canaan, where you're at right now. And why? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. These are the nations. Remember in verse 11 when it says, There they burned incense in all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. Yes, the Canaanites, the Amorites, their iniquity hadn't become full yet. God gave them opportunity. He gave them much time to turn from it. Do you realize how many years has gone by now? At least 400 that God is counting. At least four generations. But they'd been doing it farther along than that. But God's just saying, in four generations, your people are going to come out of Egypt and they're going to come into that land. And I'm going to use my people to judge those people. Why? Because they're sinners exceedingly. They're giving their kids over to the fire and, and sacrificing them. Postpartum, after they've been delivered, they're sacrificing them to pagan gods. We, we visit a place when we go to Israel up in Megiddo, and the altar, they've uncovered it. It's a Canaanite altar going back to like 2500, 2600 B.C., before the Jews even showed up. They were sacrificing children on this altar, and you can see it there today. The nations. And you've become like those nations, Israel. You've become like them. So verse 12 back in our text. So they, for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. I mean, didn't God give them the, the Ten Commandments? And what was the very first commandment in Exodus chapter 20? The first six verses. Yes. I, and God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall serve no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Not that God's got a jealousy problem. 
He deserves our praise. The Jews ought to have acknowledged him. I mean, he deserves everything, God. He deserves all the praise. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation notice of those who hate me. Important. There's other passages that don't say for those that hate me, but in the original context, we, we, we know what, it, what that means because God doesn't cause the sin of the fathers, you know, taking the punishment out on the, on the sons. I mean, sometimes there's, there's consequences that a father goes through that the son experiences. I mean, that's definitely true, but God doesn't judge the son for the sins of the father. But for those who hate him, four generations that hate him, father and son, you better believe it. They're going to go through troubles. And notice back in our text in verse 13, yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets. Notice, God even sent them accountability. He sent them prophets, every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, God says, notice the heart of a father here. Nevertheless, they would not hear. But they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols. They became idolaters. And they went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And uh, right in your margin of your Bible, a passage, uh, Deuteronomy chapter chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 8. And I'm going to read it to you because, again, I'm just stacking the deck as we get into this because there is so much accountability here. Do you see that? God himself told them. And then when they were messing up, God sent prophets to tell them to turn away, to turn away, to turn away. They didn't listen. And finally, there has, the hammer has to drop. And that's the scary part. That's the part we don't like. It's the part I don't like, when the consequence comes due. But God is a loving God. And see, you and I, we don't have to face God in his wrath anymore. Because we believe in him, and he's taken his punishment out on his son and not on us. Aren't you glad you'll never have to stand before the judge of all creation? Everybody smile. Because that's a really good thing to smile about. You'll never see it, folks. You'll never see it. The worst that you're going to see is what happens on this planet. That's it. That's the worst it's going to get. But then, glory, forever and ever. It'll never end. Hang on to that. In Deuteronomy 7, you know, and why is this? Because uh, it says there, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess. Again, remember, in Deuteronomy, before they even went into the promised land, and he says, when you go in to possess the land, you've cast out the many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Notice, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, what are you going to do? you got to smoke them all. You shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son or take their daughter to your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And do you see, and you can read the rest of that, but God is basically saying, 
This is why I wanted, when I had you go into the promised land, I gave you a very specific command. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.